you would, turn your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. Today I'm excited about a series of messages I want to share with you and how appropriate that song was, talking about temptation. And the key to victory is yet not I, but Christ in me to overcome temptation. And temptation, the last several weeks I'm doing a series of messages on truth that's been more informative about issues that are prevalent in our society but today I'd like to talk about something very practical. My wife is always very helpful to me when I prepare for a message. She asked me, Dave, what are you preaching on? I get all excited I'm preaching on this. She said, that's wonderful. But how does it help me in my everyday life? So she keeps me practical. And so today I'd like to talk about something that's very practical. I'd like to talk about temptation. Some time ago I was reading a book on how an Eskimo kills a wolf. An Eskimo would take a, a knife, a fixed blade knife, very sharp knife, and coat the blade with blood and allow it to freeze. He would take the knife and stick in the ground with the handle, the blade protruding up, and leave it there. Then a wolf would come along and smell the blood and come up to it and begin to lick the blade. In the process of licking the blade, the, the frozen blade would numb his tongue, but also cut his tongue. And so while he is licking the blade, he's bleeding to death. And his lust for more blood, he frankly licks and licks and licks till he bleeds to death and he dies. And so that's the way he would kill a wolf. My friend, Satan does the same thing to the child of God. Though Satan cannot have your soul, he knows that if you succumb to temptation, that you will be eventually become uh, powerless to the ministry and useless to God. And so he would tempt you in many different ways. So before we get into actually a message, we'll give a little preliminary, a little introduction. First of all, salvation is not a barrier to temptation. Let me say it again. Salvation is not a barrier to temptation. In fact, I believe it becomes a target. Satan doesn't need to tempt the unbeliever because he already has them. But those who are saved, he targets in on you. And he knows that sin will ruin your life. Sin will disqualify you from the ministry. There's everything he can to get you to succumb to temptation and fall into sin. Temptation, though it cannot be avoided, can be overcome. You can have victory over temptation. You can turn temptation into triumph. Again, before we actually get into message, let me give you, uh, you three different ways people, men, respond to temptation. It's not in your notes. Just sit, please listen. Different ways that people respond to temptation. The primary method of dealing with temptation is simply to give in. Many people live by the motto, if it feels good, do it. So basically, they live like animals, doing them they can to give in to the cravings of their flesh. And this is uh, this, the uh, characteristic of many, most unbelievers. But it's tragic, many Christians do the same thing. Next, there are others who struggle with temptation, spending all the time fighting temptation in their own strength. They fight and fight and fight, but fail and fail and fail because they try to face temptation in their own strength. And you cannot have victory over the flesh, flesh in your own strength. And this type of person hates what he does, but goes on, keep on doing it because he has no power to defeat it. The third kind of person in the face of temptation is those who overcome it through the power of Jesus Christ and the indwelling spirit. They turn temptations into triumphs. This may sound wishful thinking to many of you, but my friend, you can have victory over temptation. You can have victory over the flesh, 
and live victorious Christian life. So today and the next few Sundays, I want to share with you how to have victory over the flesh. So we're going to talk about the truth about temptation. Please take your notes out. Join me as we look together about the truth about temptation. I'm going to look at three things. The subject of temptation, the source of temptation, and coming to temptation. First of all, let's talk about the subject. Who's affected by temptation? All of us are. All humans are subject to temptation. From the best to the least. Jesus was. The apostle Peter was. King David was. The pastor is. Deacons are. The Sunday school teachers are. The average church member is. Every one of us are subject to temptation as part of life. We're all daily assaulted, assaulted with wide range of temptations. Every day, we're assaulted with a wide range of temptations. For example, greed, jealousy, gossip, lust, selfishness, uncontrolled anger, complaining, so on. We all have an area where we're particularly susceptible. All of us have our weaknesses. Hebrews 12.1 says this in the middle part of the verse, speaking to the Christian. He said, as Christians, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily what? Beset us. Besetting sins are the sins that you are weak susceptible to. All of us have a weaknesses. Yours may be, not be mine. Mine not, may not be yours. But we all have besetting sins. That area that Satan knows that will be your downfall and defeat you in everyday life. It's, uh, sins we're susceptible to. Next, you need to understand it is not sin to be tempted. It is not sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 14, 15 says this, speaking of Jesus Christ, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted. So it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Sin enters when the, the picture, when temptation is surrendered to. Next. Our greatest danger in temptation is to think we've arrived to a place we are above sinning. The greatest danger is we come to a place we think I don't sin anymore and I'm not tempted anymore. My friend, that's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 10 12 says to you. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he what? Fall. Pride says, I've arrived in my Christian life. I'm not tempted anymore. I no longer sin. My friend, that is a sin in itself. <laughs> the Bible said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But when pride tells us that we're, we cannot uh, fall, then we're headed for a big fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if you and your pride said, Pastor, I'm a good Christian, I've arrived, I've made it, I don't sin anymore, I'm above temptation, then you are the most susceptible to temptation. And I think Satan will target it on you and say, let's find out. <laughs> so the subject of temptation is each and every one of us. Number two, let's talk about the source of temptation. Where does temptation come from? I'm glad you asked. It said there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such is what? Common to man. The word common, you know what the word common means? is human. 
is a matter of being a man. We're all tempted because we are human. Someone says, you're not tempted because you're evil. You're tempted because you're human. The only person who's not tempted is one who's laid in the grave. As long as you're alive, you're susceptible to temptation. We are all. And there are three main sources. I hope you write them down. Three sources in which temptation comes from. You need to understand these so you can fight against it. First of all, number one, the first primary source is the world. Is the world. In the Bible, the word world can refer to one of three things. Number one, it can refer to the planet which we live on, the, the planet God created. That's the world. Number two, it refers to humanity, mankind. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Not talking about the planet, but humanity, mankind. He loves us. But the third way the word, word world is referred to, which we're going to talk about here, is the world system. The philosophy, the lifestyle of this world, the direction this world is going. And that's the one that's evil in God's eyes. And so the world is the first temptation, source of temptation to the believer. Turn with me in your Bibles, please. Keep your finger in Corinthians. Go with me now to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John 2, page 714. The world in which we live, its direction is a very source of temptation that we have as believers. And is a source that Satan will use to defeat the child of God. So God tells us in 1 John chapter 2, look in verse 15. When you first read this, it sounds contradictory, but let me explain it to you. In chapter 2, verse 15, it says, love not the what? He said, wait a minute, pastor. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And yet we're told here not to love the world. It's not talking about mankind. We are to love mankind. Love humanity. Love people and bring them to Christ. But it's talking about the world system, the philosophy of the world in which we live, the direction it goes. Love not the world, neither the what? The things. Talking about the possessions of this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What that means, you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. They're diametrically opposed. So he says, don't love the world. Don't love the things the world offers you. Because if you love this world... You cannot love God at the same time. Then it says, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this what? We're going to focus on this verse in another message. But basically, this world is a source of temptation. In fact, the Bible says, God wants us to be different and distinct from this world. God wants us to be different and distinct from this world. Nothing is more useful to Satan than a worldly Christian. In fact, in James chapter 4, it says this. It says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. A child of God can become an enemy of God if he becomes like the world. Becomes like that which God uh, hates, the world itself. And so it goes on to say, we are not to allow the world to force us into its mold. We're not to allow this world, this world system, the way it walks, it talks, the way it acts, the way the world is, not to allow the world to force us into its mold. Many of you know Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this what? 
the word conform means to squeeze into its mold. There is a practice, a thought life, uh, a lifestyle the world wants you to be like. And we live in a world that wants us to squeeze us into this mold, wants us to become like the unsaved. And he wants to do that. There are two kinds of Christians. Listen carefully. There are two kinds of Christians in this world. What I call a thermometer Christian and a thermostat Christian. What do you mean, Pastor? Now, a thermometer adjusts to the temperature around it. And so many Christians adjust to the temperature of the lifestyle of those around them. They go to church. They read the Bible. They pray. They talk godly. They look godly. Act godly. They go to work. They look worldly. They tell dirty jokes. They talk bad like those around them. They're like a thermometer. They adjust to the surroundings around them. How about you? Is that you? Do you adjust to the spiritual temperature of those around you? God doesn't want you to be a thermometer. God wants you to be a thermostat. What's a thermostat do? It sets the temperature. It sets the temperature. You ought to, every place you go, set the spiritual temperature and be the person God wants you to be. And hopefully people will become like you, not like you like them. So which one are you? A thermometer or a thermostat? <laughs> My brother and I, as when we were kids, we used to love playing with lizards. They're called chameleons. And basically, there's a certain lizard that adjusts to the surroundings around it. If you put the lizard, a chameleon, on a green leaf, guess what happens? It turns green. If you put it on a brown bark of a tree, guess what? It turns brown. So what we do, we get a leaf and put them on there. It turns green. Immediately, you get a piece of bark and put it on that. And back and forth, have them change back and forth. Then we get and put them on both of them <laughs> and see what it would do. You know what's sad, Christian? Many believers are that way. They adjusted the shrines around them. If they hang around Christians, they act, they talk, look like Christians. But they get around the ungodly. They act and talk like an ungodly person. Which one are you? Are you a thermostat? Or a thermometer? Are you like that lizard that just the surroundings? God wants us to be distinct, separate from the world, and don't allow this world to force you into a mold. So what's the first source of temptation? The world. The second source. Don't miss this now. The flesh. The flesh is the second source of temptation. The flesh is that part in us that's bent on doing wrong. There's a part of us that loves to do wrong, Part of us that pulls us away from God is called the flesh. Born in every one of us from the most innocent child to the most godly adult is a bent on our nature to do wrong. As a leaning towards sin, we inherit this from Adam. It's called the old nature. If you don't understand this, you will go through doubts about your salvation. You may find, if I'm really saved, why do I still want to do that? If I'm really saved, why do I have that desire? Because you have the flesh. Christian, you are capable of doing anything the unbeliever can do because you still have the flesh. There's a part of you that's bent on doing wrong. And what does God call the Christian who's controlled by the flesh? He's called carnal. Read the book of Corinthians. You'll find that every sin known to man practiced among believers because they're carnal, controlled by the flesh. And the flesh is bent on doing wrong. The flesh creates a civil war in the heart of every Christian. The flesh creates a civil war in the heart of every Christian. Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he says, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, 
the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a battle going on in the life of the believer. The flesh desires one thing, the spirit desires something else. And we're caught right in the middle. It's a civil war in the life of a Christian because you're of your flesh. When we fail, you know what we try to do? We try to blame it on the devil. Now, the devil may be responsible many times, but you realize you can sin without the devil because you have the flesh. In the future, when Christ returns, he's going to establish what's called the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. During the millennium, two things will be true. First of all, you're going to read first, do not turn there, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. He'll take Satan, chain him, and put him in a bottomless pit. He's removed from the earth and tempt man no longer during that thousand-year period. But also, the world returned back to almost like it was in the Garden of Eden. A perfect place, Satan is not there, yet Christians will still sin. You know why? Because they have the flesh. That part of you that's inside you will be with you until the day you die. So the first source of temptation was the what? The world. The second source is the flesh. Third, quite evident, the devil. The devil. His main objective, as far as you're concerned, is to cause you to fall and become useless for the kingdom of God and the ministry. He knows every weakness you have and exploits it trying to get you to sin. But listen, please. We must never forget Satan, the devil, is a liar. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44. Let me read this to you. Speaking to the unbelievers there, the Pharisees. He says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye would do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the what? Father of it. Satan's a liar. So Satan will use lies to get you to sin. Let me give you three uh, lies he gives. First of all, the devil will tell you how great it is to sin. How great sin will be. It's wonderful. You enjoy it. How great sin will be. Interesting, in Hebrews 11.25, it talks about there's pleasure in sin. How many realize that? <coughs> Does the Bible say there's pleasure in sin? Now, you and I know that. But it says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And Satan will focus on the pleasures. Here, look what you can do. He'll focus on the pleasures, but won't tell you about the heartaches, the destruction, and the ruin sin can bring. He'll focus on the pleasures. So his first lie, how great you'll enjoy life, will be if you sin. The next lie he does, he says you can sin and get by with it. You can sin and get by with it. Go ahead and do it. No one will know. Boy, how many of you have sinned because they no one will ever find out? <laughs> Numbers 32, 23, many of you know the verse. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will what? Find you out. Every time you're tempted to sin, and you're all alone, think no one's going to find out, put that verse on your mirror, put it on your uh, computer screen, put it somewhere. Be sure your sin will find you out. Satan will say this. Go ahead and do it. God will forgive it. Go ahead and sin. God will forgive you. Have you done it before? Just go ahead, just one time. God will forgive it. That is what we call presumptuous sin. Listen to this verse. Psalm 19, 13. Keep back thy servant, David said. 
also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I may be upright and shall be innocent of the great transaction. The word presumption means willful or deliberate. Satan would say, go ahead and sin. God will forgive. You know what's wonderful? Yes, God will forgive. How many can say praise the Lord? If we confess our sin, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive. So Satan said, go ahead. He'll forgive. So you willfully, deliberately do wrong with the idea of saying, well, that's presumptuous sin. He called it great transaction. Don't do that. So the first lie, how great sin will be. The next lie, you can sin and get by with it. And the third one is, you even deserve it. Go ahead. You deserve this. It's been hard. Life's been hard for you. You've tried to do right. But go ahead and get that. You deserve this. Remember, Satan hates you. He's plotting your defeat. He loves to point out fallen saints and laugh before God and stand to accuse them of evil. I want to say, don't give him satisfaction. Don't do that. So we talked about the subject of temptation. We talked about the source of temptation. And number three, let's talk about the subduing of temptation. The subduing of temptation. Let me give you three words. Let me give them to you. Don't write them down. Look up here. Three words. I'm going to share with you. Write it down in a moment. Three words, remember, in facing temptation. The words are flight, faith, and fight. Flight, faith, and fight. First of all, letter A, to overcome the flesh, we need flight. There's a time to flee, a time to run. The key to defeating fleshly temptation is to flee from them. We saw that already in one of the scriptures we read. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee fornication. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, flee useful lust. When I read that, I think of the Old Testament, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember that story? Joseph was a godly man, a servant of God. He became the uh, steward of Potiphar's house. In fact, the Bible said he managed all that Potiphar owned to the point Potiphar didn't know what he had because Joseph managed all of it. But one person in Potiphar's house set their eyes upon Potiphar. It was Potiphar's wife. And it said every day she tempted Potiphar. And she said over and over again, Joseph, come lie with me. Joseph, come lie with me. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 12, it says this. And she called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand. I love this. And he fled and got him out. <laughs> the word fled means leave with hastily and put to flight. He realized there comes a time I don't need to fight temptation. I need to run. <laughs> when I think of the word flee, I think of when I was a boy, I lived on a farm in a little town called Chiefland, Florida. My dad lived on a farm. We had pigs and we had uh, hogs. We had chicken. And my mom... Uh, wanted to cook a chicken, one half fried chicken one day. Now, our, because I live on a farm, there's always some stray dogs that would come around the house. My dad run them off because they'd dig holes and chase our chickens like that. So uh, th that was a, a part of living on the farm. But my mom wanted to cook some fried chicken. So she told my dad to go out and get a chicken. Now, I learned, first of all, how not to kill a chicken. He, he, he was running himself, too. He took a chicken and cut his head off. You know what the chicken did? It fell to the ground and run off. Run off without his head. My brother and I chased the chicken all over the yard. They had no head on him. So later on, he did it again second time. You know how to kill a chicken? You grab their neck and you wring it. 
and it breaks your neck and they die immediately. So basically, he'd bring the chicken, the whole chicken, into the house. My mom had a big old pot, a big old huge pot with boiling hot water. And he'd stick that chicken in the water. Why? Because you had to pull all the feathers out. And the, when the hot water would allow the, the feathers to come out easily. So after he put all the feathers out, my mom told my brother Randy, he said, Randy, take that pot of hot water and take it out there and throw it in the yard. So he went out there and to the bushes and threw it in the bushes. Guess what was in the bush? An old dog that my dad was trying to run off. He did not know it was there. And threw that scalding hot water on that dog. And then that dog, we heard a yell, a yelp, I mean a howl. And all of a sudden, something i never forget, I saw a dog running so fast, he was running sideways. <laughs> his back legs not running his front legs. And he <laughs> run across, and all of a sudden, his front legs caught up, and phew, he was gone. But friend, there's a visual illustration to flee. And there's certain sins you're not told to fight against, you're to get out. That's exactly what Joseph did. And most of them are sexual sins. So many of us can't fight against those. The temptation becomes too great. So if that comes your life, don't enjoy them. Run. Flee. Be like that dog running sideways to get out. That's what it means to flee. Listen carefully. You cannot expose yourself to fleshly temptation and expect to walk away untouched or unscathed. You can't do that. You cannot expose yourself to fleshly temptation and expect to walk away untouched or unscathed. Proverbs 6, 27, listen to this verse. Can a man take a fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. My friend, don't play with sin. Don't play especially with the sins of the flesh. So the overcome the sin of the flesh, the key word is what? Flight. Number two, overcome the world, the key word is faith. To overcome the world, we need faith. Look up here, please. The world is very attractive. The possessions of the world lures Christians away from God. And, you, and all through commercials on television, radio, talk about material possessions, and though they may not be wrong to have, Satan will lure you to gain these to get so much money and time to have them that you leave God out of your life. And to use the things of the world to expose you and lure you into the world. So listen carefully, please. Faith is needed. We must believe, have faith. We must believe the rewards in heaven are better than the riches on earth. How many believe that? The rewards in heaven that God offers you when you serve him are better than the riches of this world. Do you believe that? Now listen carefully. If you do, why do we spend so much of our time, our money, our attention on the things, material possessions, and little for God? Christians become so gathered around material possessions, though they're not wrong to have, but you're trying to enjoy them, take care of them, and, and uh, service them. You have no time for God. Satan's lured you. So many Christians that used to sit right where you're sitting or doing nothing for God because they're enjoying the material possessions the world offers them. And so we need to believe what God offers us is better than what the world does. Let me read the scripture to you. Do not turn there. Hebrews 11, speaking of Moses, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction 
with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he says, verse 26, because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the world, reward. Why did, he, why did Moses refuse to be Pharaoh, the greatest, most powerful man in the world? Why did he choose to suffer affliction with the people of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Because he thought the rewards of heaven are greater than anything Egypt could offer me. Do you believe that? Colossians 3.2 says this, set your affection on things what? Above than things on this earth. So you must believe the rewards of heaven are better than the treasures of this world. Next, we must love the Lord above anything this world can offer us. We must love the Lord above anything the world can offer us. Someone said, if you are loving the world, we're not loving God. Remember that verse? He said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, the love for the Father is not in him. Turn to me, please. Let me show you a verse, a disturbing verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. 2 Timothy 4, page 1677. Here's a very tragic story about a man mentioned three times in the Bible. Twice he's mentioned as a fellow laborer, a fellow servant in the gospel who served along the Apostle Paul. But this account here, Paul was in prison. He had been sentenced to death by the Roman government and was waiting for his execution. And he had some needs there and he was telling Timothy, look in verse 9, 2 Timothy 4 verse 9. He said, Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Why? For who? Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. Demas mentioned three times in Scripture, twice fellow laborer, fellow servant with Paul. He forsook the ministry. He forsook the Apostle Paul because he loved what the world offered him, not what Christ offered him. So many Christians have forsaken their service for God because they love what the world offers them to gain that. So we must love the Lord above anything the world offers us. Don't be a Demas. Be like the Apostle Paul. Lastly, of this point of faith we need to overcome the world, it is our love for, faith in, and obedience to God that overcomes the world. It is our love for, Faith in and obedience to God that overcomes this world. Go with me now to 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 5, page 1717. We're just about done here, so hang in there with me. Don't let me lose you. 1 John 5, verse 3, please. 1 John 5, 3. We saw what we need to overcome the world is faith. It's mentioned right here. To that fact. 1 John 5 verse 3. Here it talks about our love for God. It says for the love of God. Talking about our love for God. How is it manifested? That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. But verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our what? Our faith. So to overcome the flesh we need flight. To overcome the world we need Faith, and lastly, overcome the devil, we must fight. 
we must fight. We must resist the devil and his temptations. We must resist the devil and temptations. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. You cannot run away from him. But you can resist him and he'll flee from you. <laughs> Let me say it again. You cannot run away from him. But you can resist him and he will flee from you. Let me give you three things. We'll wrap it up with this tonight, today. Thank you for turning with me. He said, Pastor, you got a lot of threes this morning. I do, don't I? Three things that will enable us to overcome the Satan temptation. Go with me now to Revelation 12. Our last scripture to turn to, Revelation 12, page 1735. The last book of your Bible. Again, this is part one of our message on the truth about temptation. Please come back next Sunday. We'll talk more about this, part two. Revelation 12. Notice what it says here. It's about three things that will enable us to overcome Satan and his temptations. In Revelation 12, verse 10, the middle part of it, talking about Satan as the accuser of the brethren. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Verse 11, here's the key verse. And they, the brethren, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. The first thing to overcome Satan is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Someone said this, he doesn't fear you, but Satan trembles before the blood of Christ. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The blood of Christ. Let me show this about the blood of Christ. Remember he's called, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren? The blood of Christ, much more than Romans 5, 9, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath of him. Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, justified by his blood, redeemed and forgiven through his blood. Someone said this, when Satan accuses the brethren, no accusation can stand against those who have been justified by his blood, whose sins have been forgiven through his blood. Hallelujah. No accusation can stand against those who have been justified by his blood, forgiven through his blood. Next. The second thing overcomes Satan, not only the blood of Christ, but the testimony of salvation. The testimony of salvation. He goes on to say in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their what? Testimony. One thing Satan loves, desires foremost to do in the Christian life, to get you to keep your mouth shut about your salvation. When we profess, declare to others the salvation, God save me, from hell and sin, God changed my life and the difference he shows in my life, that is a testimony he cannot stand against. And they overcame Satan by the testimony of their salvation. How many people do you tell about salvation? How many uh, tell others what Christ has done for you? That's how you overcome him. Basically, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So the first thing, overcome the devil, the blood of Jesus Christ, the testimony of salvation, and thirdly, the believer's sacrifice. The believer's sacrifice. It says there again, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, 
by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They would rather die than submit and surrender to Satan. Here's what Paul said in Acts 20. Listen carefully. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let's wrap it up this morning. We're talking about the truth about temptation. We saw the subject, all of us. The source, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then we saw the succumbing to temptation and how Satan tempts us. But what's the greatest resource you have against temptation? Listen carefully. For the believer is a close relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest resource is a close walk with God. James 4, 7, I quoted this, but I left out the second verse. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8. Draw nigh to God and he'll what? Draw nigh to you. You want to win over victory over temptation? Draw nigh to God. Let's close with this. <clears throat> we talked about Satan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Satan is a what? A liar. And how he defeats so many people by lying. Here's another lie that Satan uses, especially in salvation. For those who are not saved and hear the gospel of salvation, you know what Satan was saying? That's important, but you can do it tomorrow. Put it off to tomorrow. Someone said the road to hell is paved by good intentions. I intend to do that. Some of you in hell today intended to trust Christ, but Satan convinced them, tomorrow, put it off to tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, talking about the day of salvation. He said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here today and not saved, when should you trust Christ? Satan say, tomorrow. God says what? Today. Because you may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow may not come. It may not be here. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Close your Bibles, please, if you haven't already. This is part one on the truth about temptation. I've been speaking primarily to those of you that are saved. There are some of you here today that live a defeated failure as a Christian. Because you try to overcome temptation in your own strength. And you'll fail every time. My friend, the strength to overcome temptation is in the Lord and the Holy Spirit. As you draw closer to him, he'll give you the strength and power to overcome temptation. And you can do it. You can turn temptation into triumph through Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to be here for every message. We'll talk more about this issue. But maybe you're here today and you're not certain heaven's your home. Let me ask a question. I ask it about every Sunday. If you were to die today or 10 years from today, would you go to heaven? There are many of you who would probably say, yes, I would. I know I have eternal life because I've trusted Christ. Praise the Lord. We can leave here rejoicing. But if you answered, Pastor, I don't know. I hope so. I think I might. Maybe. But I don't know. My friend, you can know. 
But I'm going to share something with you, good news in one moment. But Satan will respond and says, yes, that's good. That's good news. But wait. Put it off. Not today. Here's the good news. The good news, God loves you just the way you are. We're all sinners, yet God loves them. How many are grateful that God loves sinners? Amen. That's me. That's you. He loves us. But the God of heaven says, because you sin, there's a penalty. There's a price tag on sin. The wages of sin is death. And if you pay for your sin, you have to die and go to hell to do it. But God loves you, doesn't want you to go to hell. So he provided a substitute, his son. The one who knew no sin came to this earth, lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ. Then he allowed his own creation to nail him to a cross. And while on the cross, the Bible said he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. He became sin for us. Your sin, past, present, and future, God took as a package, laid him on Jesus, and God punished him for what you've done wrong. He died in your place. He paid for your sin. He was buried, and he rose again. And now God says, because what my son did for you, I'll forgive you. I'll give you eternal life at his expense. Your part is to believe. Your part is to receive. Your part is to trust in Christ as the one who did that for you. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that what? Believe on his name. Now, isn't that great news? Satan says, yes, it's great news. But wait. Not now. Maybe tomorrow. Again, so many people are in hell today because they put it off. So, when's the day of salvation? Today. Let's bow together, please. Let's bow together. My friend, if you've never trusted Christ, Satan will agree with you that it's a good thing to do, but he'll say not today. I encourage you, do not put that off. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. There's no lease on life. Today may be your last day. Hope it's not, but it may be. But something as serious as eternity, why not make the decision today to have the assurance that you're going to spend heaven for all eternity? You can do it right now. Right when you sit, you can talk to the true living God and you can trust him to be your savior. You can trust him to forgive you and give you eternal life. You say, Pastor, I want to do that. I've heard it many times. I put it off, but I need to do it. And I want to do it today. Why not tell God that? Talk to him. Maybe say something like this. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. I deserve judgment because I'm the one who has sinned. But God, I realize that your son Jesus was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And as my substitute, he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And realizing I can do nothing to save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if you did that today, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. My prayer for you won't save you. In one moment, I'll ask you to raise your hand and indicate to me that you did that. Raise your hand won't save you. Christ saved you when you trusted him. If you trusted Christ, heaven is now your home. That's his promise. But I really get excited when I see someone else understand that good news and trust Christ as Savior. 
So if you allow me to simply to pray for you, I'm not going to have you forward or point you out, just praying for you today. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes closed so no one will be put on the spot. If you trusted Christ as your Savior here today, with no one looking around, no one leaving, would you indicate it by simply raising your hand this morning? Step over high. Pastor, I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone all? Yes, God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? Pastor, that makes sense to me. I trusted Christ. Here's my hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Pastor, Pastor, I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me also? I made that decision. I trusted Christ. I want to go to heaven when I die, so I'm trusting Christ today to save me. Anyone else? Real quickly. Christian, temptation is quite real, is it not? And so many of us are defeated Christians because we try to face it in our own strength. God's given you his spirit, his Holy Spirit, who lives inside you to enable you to overcome sin and temptation. You need to draw near to God, and he, he promised he would draw nigh to you. Why not purpose today to draw close to him so you can have victory over temptation? Father in heaven, we thank you for this one, but in the case of your hand, that trusted you as Savior, who made that decision to receive Christ as Savior even today. Father, help me realize heaven is now our home. They presently have eternal life. They've been forgiven of all the sin because of what Christ has done for them. I pray, Father, you take this wonderful truth, this good news, and now share it with others to encourage others also to trust Christ as our Savior. We thank you for this decision. Father, help us as your people to draw nigh to you, that you may draw nigh to us, that we can turn our temptations into triumphs. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.